Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. A huge gathering is taking place this week in Glasgow, Scotland. The 26th UN Climate Change Conference of the Parties, or COP26 for short, will try to advance the goals of the Paris Agreement. The United Nations has gathered almost every country to participate in global climate summits. They are called the Conference of the Parties, or COP. In this case, COP26 for the 26 years that it has been held. The Conference of Parties meeting is very much about the international community coming together and making deep commitments to one another about how each country is going to limit their CO2 emissions. But it is not just governments. Common folks are also trying to get action. There's a lot of groups um, in Glasgow and Scotland who either are um, wanting to achieve um, climate justice in different ways. When these meetings began, little attention was paid to them. But now climate change is a hot issue with much of the globe looking for answers. We will have some coming up next on Weather or Not. The best app from the best weather team is right here. Seven's Hurricane Tracker app. Get the latest forecast models. My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone. It's yours free from the storm station, Seven News. World leaders are in Scotland this week alongside tens of thousands of negotiators, government representatives, business leaders, and common folks alike for 12 days of talks. They are hoping to kickstart the Paris Agreement, which was reached in 2015 during COP21. Every country agreed to unite in the effort of keeping global warming below 2 degrees with an ambitious target of 1.5 degrees. While this may not sound like much, even the smallest increase in global temperatures can be disastrous to our environment and eventually to us. Under the agreement, a timetable was set to meet every five years and discuss any progress made. The five-year window was in 2020, but we know what happened. COVID set everything back. There's a lot at stake. We speak with Dr. Andrew Pershing of Climate Central, an independent organization of top scientists and journalists researching and reporting the facts about our changing climate and its impact on you and me. And we go across the Atlantic to speak with Anthony Carroll, a climate activist in Scotland. The key to this conference is keeping emissions low in order to prevent world temperatures from rising above 1.5 degrees. We begin with Dr. Pershing. So climate, the, the Conference of Parties meeting is very much about the international community coming together and making deep commitments to one another about how each country is going to limit their CO2 emissions. So every country is being asked to come in with what they call uh, the the you know the nationally determined contributions. So what what is what are they saying? What are they pledging that they're going to do around CO two emissions? And then the idea is to add all of those up and hopefully come up with a number that keeps us in that one point five degree or two degree range. It's going to take a lot of ambition uh, to keep us in that range. It's going to take a lot of countries really trying to think creatively and work together uh, to solve this problem. And that's what the COP is about. But. For those on the ground in Scotland, 
They would like to see more than just numbers tossed around. Here's Anthony Carroll. Well, we want to make sure that this isn't just an event that's another black back slapping exercise um, that we have uh, in previous conferences. This is the one that has to actually deliver concrete change, um, not just for the Scotland, not just for the UK, but for the world. We made numerous attempts to interview the US representatives for this conference, the EPA, and many other agencies, but all refused to talk. I asked Dr. Pershing if he had any insights on the US position. Is our delegation, is the US delegation, um, do they have a clear a mandate? Do they know what they want going forward? Uh, that's that's not something I'm particularly uh, well versed on right now. I know that it's a it's a high priority for this administration. I know it's something that they you know that they care very deeply about, uh, but I can't really speak to what the U.S. position is. Meanwhile, in Scotland, hopes are not too high that significant action will take place. Action hasn't been historically very good in the U.K. It's slightly better in Scotland. Um, compared to the rest of the UK. But um, a lot of people are skeptical about this as being just another exercise of people, you know, um, happy about how things have been going back, slapping each other on the back by saying it's been going okay so far, um, but not actually delivering concrete action. Now, as as the climate continues to uh, change all around us, what do you think are the best steps to take in order to to keep that 1.5 goal a reality? So it really is about reducing carbon dioxide emissions. That's, that's full stop where what we have to do. Uh, so that means things like uh, you know, building out renewable energy wherever we can, building it out rapidly. There's been some really great work done over the last couple of years, including a study by Princeton that, that sort of imagines how, how could the US do that? So how could the US get to a goal of having zero carbon dioxide emissions by 2050? And the amazing thing is, is that, is that according to their analysis, like we can actually do this with existing technology. We don't need magical things like fusion. We can do it with solar energy. We can do it with wind power. Uh, and, and that the neat thing is like that world is creates a whole bunch of jobs in these new energy sectors. It leads instantly to cleaner air due to replacing dirty cars with, uh, with electric vehicles. And it leads to you know, lower healthcare costs and just generally a higher quality of life for a lot of people in the country. So it's, I have a lot of optimism that if we decided that we wanted to do this, that we could do it. And the real question is, you know, are, we gonna, are we gonna make that choice? That's true. It's always the, the desire and the willingness <laughs> to achieve something. Uh, there's always a big stumbling block with this. Obviously the, the larger nations uh, can do it, can try to strive for that. But what about the developing nations that really do not have an infrastructure and still rely on fossil fuels? How do we get them in the fold? That is, uh, that's a big part of what's involved in the Conference of Parties negotiations is how does the developed world that's really, you know, built all of our wealth and all of our, all of our riches on, you know, on cheap fossil fuels, how do we help uh, the developing world go down a different path. And so there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of discussion. I imagine this is going to be a very thorny issue around the international financing uh, and and what are the responsibilities for developed countries like the United States, like Europe towards uh, countries in Africa and, you know, in South America. Hopefully it is, it is the more concrete action that um, 
as a as a continuation from the Paris Agreement, I am with President Biden rejoining the Paris um, Accord on making sure that you know the maximum warming is at one point five. It's it's good that everyone is on the same page on that, but it's how that is delivered is the key thing that countries like America, um, like China, um, will have to actually envision. I know that um, say with uh, the United States, um, a lot of um, people might think, oh, well, we're just one country. Compared to other big countries such as China, we are as big polluters globally. But that's a chain of reaction that even happens here in Scotland. Um, people are saying, oh, we're only Scotland. What do we need to do? Um, and it's it's a chain that works all the way down and seeing action from big countries like America on how they deliver the 1.5 maximum warming. So as much as it is, you know, still agreeing to go to the maximum um, global warming of 1.5 degrees, it is seeing how America, how China, how Russia will deliver that. Will it be through better insulation of homes in, in their countries? Will it be better integrated public transport in their countries? Will it be through a combination of changing how we live in so many ways that intersect in our lives? So that's why I hope countries like the United States Russia, China will actually hope to actually talk about and promise as a new future for the world. Our planet could use some help and maybe science could lead the effort in keeping our air clean. Once again, Dr. Pershing. I don't know if you, you're aware, you probably are. There's this new machine. It's like a fan that's supposed to absorb all the CO2 and <laughs> clean the air out like a huge filter. What do you think about that kind of technology? It, it almost seems too good. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting technology. It's, um, you know, it's built on, on things that we knew how to do in order to, you know, send people to the moon, right. To clear CO2 out of, uh, you know, out of the, out of the atmosphere. Uh, I guess the way I think of it is a lot like, uh, a lot like an oil spill. It's much easier to deal with an, you know, with, to deal with an oil spill if it never happens. Right. right. And so it very much, when we're talking about pulling CO2 to the atmosphere, it's a lot like we're trying to, you know, pull individual molecules of CO2 out of the atmosphere and turn them into a rocks, it's much easier and much more efficient to just not put it there in, in the atmosphere in the first place. But absolutely, like some of these technological carbon dioxide removal, we're probably going to need that. We're going to need natural uh, climate solutions, right? Managing our forests and our fields and our ocean resources so that we have ecosystems that can help pull CO2 out of the atmosphere. All of that is going to, we're going to need all of that technology, but it everything really starts with us stopping our CO2 emissions as soon as we can. But ultimately, it is you and me who can affect change, and that's not easy. We ask Anthony Carroll how he gets it done. Now, you as a climate activist and in, in your group, how do you get your word out? How do you get these people to listen to you and to listen to the needs of trying to maintain uh, our, our temperatures below that 1.5 threshold. Like I mentioned earlier, um, there are a wealth of community groups um, who, who do achieve this on a local level, um, and that's the avenue that I do this from, From, um, for example, um, having a, a, a food um, network that's, that is sustainable and local. Um, I've been working on that front in, in, in Glasgow. Um, there's um, similar avenues for insulation of heating district heating localized energy companies that community groups have been setting up themselves and so it's been engaging communities ourselves to rise up and uh, enact um, changes that we want to see um, for our local community 
on a more wider scale. There are, of course, different um, action um, groups and pressure groups within um, Scotland and the UK. Some people might not agree with, and I have criticisms of, um, because of sometimes their lack of um, intersectional um, campaigning, especially on, on working class communities. Um, but they are the ones who get high high pressure in the press. Um, they are the ones who will find ways, for example, they blockaded an airport, um, which is exclusively run for, for rich people. Um, it's, it's a private airport in the UK. I, and highlighting you know, inequalities like this compared to the kind of rugged public transport system is you know, key actions that a lot of people um, in, in the UK have been doing um, to you know, highlight how we can, what the problems are now and what we can radically do to change them. In the US, we need to change our thinking. Over the last year, the country has been hit hard, proving to be a big wake-up call for needed action. I would say that what, what we've seen this summer is, a, I think, a, a pivotal moment for us as a country and our relationship with climate change. That for a long time, it's been really a little esoteric, right? You could see it in the data. You could kind of, you could you get a taste of it here and there. And then we really got hammered this summer. Uh, you know, if you look across the country, you know, the major hurricanes, big rain events, you know, flooding, the heat dome events and the wildfires in the West. I mean, it's just like there's, there really isn't a part of the country that didn't feel it this summer. And that's with, you know, 1.1 degree of warming. We're talking about another, you know, minimum, another half degree of warming, right? And if we get into the two degree or three degree range, I mean, those, those damages just accrue and the rate of change accelerates. And that's going to be very hard for us to deal with. Now, as uh, uh, so we look at the world's oceans, I mean, those are like the arteries of, um, of Mother Earth and uh, the ocean keeps warming and sooner or later, those uh, streams that we rely on, uh, the Gulf Stream, for example, to go and keep uh, uh, Northern Europe kind of in a stable environment, uh, that will change as well, wouldn't it? So there's been some really interesting work uh, on that right now uh, this year, uh, some really interesting studies that have, that have examine the possibility of a, you know, of a major rearrangement in the ocean currents of the Atlantic. We've already seen, we've already seen some gradual changes there that have led to really big uh, impacts here in the United States. So, you know, really high rates of warming in the, in the Northwest Atlantic impacts on fish and lobster and, you know, important resources that we have very much tied to that changes in the global circulation. And the question is, you know, is there this potential of a really rapid shift? And so it's an area of very active research. I think, you know, you know, bringing it back to the Conference of Parties discussion, like the, all of those scenarios, these sort of really scary things where we don't quite know when and how and, you know, it would happen. The really important thing is that those scary things become so much more likely in a, in a world where we're at two, three, four degrees of warming. Every tenth of a degree that we can that we can pull uh, pull back from makes the world a safer place. This was a treat going international for this podcast. I really appreciate the participation of climate activist Anthony Carroll. Well, thank you very much for your time today. We we've really learned a lot, and uh, I hope that something really comes out out of this climate conference because it's just not it's not just Scotland or the UK or the United States. It's our entire world and we need to save it. We need to take care of it. Sometimes we treat it as a toilet bowl or a loo 
And uh, we really need to take action now to make sure that it is around for our, our children and, and grandchildren. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Phil. Well, Andy, you have helped us a lot to uh, learn a little bit more about this conference taking place in Scotland. And I really thank you for your participation. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. It was great to talk to you. And so we leave this podcast sending good vibes to all those government leaders participating in this conference. May they see through all the mental smog and have clear thoughts about what our world needs. Next week on Whether or Not. Tiny homes are are really hot right now. People are realizing they can live in a lot less footwork than than what we're traditionally expecting. So we took a lot of those, you know, adaptations and modified it for living on the water. Climate change has the world's oceans rising. One man says he can keep us afloat. That's in our next issue, which drops November 19th. If you have a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast or have a comment, please send me an email at pfarrow at wsvn.com. Also, it would be really nice if you would subscribe to our podcast. You can always follow us on Twitter and Facebook at 7weather and of course live on air at WSVN7. Thanks for joining us. Please tell your friends about us. We need all the listeners we can get. Until next time, I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrell.